Welcome. Pastor Joe's out of town, our lead pastor. They are finishing up a little bit of time at the beach, so pray for them as they have to come back home. And uh, we always know how hard that is after a lovely trip at the beach, but I've heard they've been having a great time and uh, really enjoying their time down there. We're also going to be wrapping up our series on the book of 1 Timothy today. So if you want to grab your Bible, if you don't have a Bible, you can open them. Uh, the one that's there in the seat backs there in front of you, they're black, um, easy to grab. Please feel free to take that if you don't have a Bible of your own that you can understand. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 11. We'll go through the end of the chapter. But as I reflected this week and was, was thinking about it, it's a very, very appropriate text. Because we come to the text, it's been the title for the entire series, where Paul pleads with Timothy to fight the good fight. As we look back on our own history, and this weekend, when we remember those who have died to protect us, to guard us, we see this great example of what it means to fight the fight. Certainly many of them were believers and, and many were also not. But we see in them a character that's so beautiful. That they would sacrifice themselves. That they would die for what they believed in this country. And we are grateful for them. I look back through some history books and, and some of my favorite characters to read. And, and I want to quote to you two uh, individuals. First, Admiral Chester Nimitz, um, from whom our great carrier was named. He said this as he reflected back on those who lost so many. It says, they fought together as brother, and we would add sisters, in arms. They died together, and now they sleep side by side. To them, we have a solemn obligation. This was his comments on Memorial Day many years ago. And, and we do, we have this obligation to them to continue what they have started. The good things of this country were certainly not perfect, but there is so much good. There is so much freedom. And we have an obligation to continue that. But I want to add a second quote to that, and this is President John F. Kennedy. Uh, a quote on another Memorial Day couple decades later, and it says, as we express our gratitude, we must never forget that the highest appreciation is not to utter words, but to live by them. Let me read that again. Let that soak in. Our highest, as we express our gratitude, we must not forget that our highest appreciation is not to utter words, but to live by them. As we begin to reflect, as, as we, we turn and, and start to look at the Scripture, I think this is exactly what Paul was getting at. When he urged, he pleaded with Timothy to fight the good fight, to keep going and stay in there. It's the same thing as we look back on the great history of our nation. We, we can't give up. And so many men and women over over 200 years, have stayed faithful to the point of death. And we're so grateful for them. But we have one who died for us who's even greater. Who paid an even higher price, not just of death, but death for the penalty of sin. Who bore 
our sins as He died. And so today, as we open up the Scriptures to 1 Timothy, what I want us to do is reflect on what obligation do we owe our Savior. Not to be saved. He does the saving. But how is the Christian life lived out on a daily basis? I want us to think about not just our words. Because we do. We sing. We've done it today. Thanks and praise and appreciation to our Savior. But it's in how we live out those words that it displays what is truly in our hearts. Our love for Christ is borne out Monday through Saturday, not so much Sunday morning. So read with me, 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 11. But you, as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who bore this testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They're to do good, to be rich in good works and be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions which is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. It's an amazing passage. If you just read that passage, we could almost stop here, and I'm sure some of you are probably disappointed we won't, but we won't. But this passage, it's a call to arms. It's a call to arms for the Christian life. N not a violence, but a strength. Not of war waged with guns and tanks, but a one waged in our own soul against our sin. Paul begs Timothy, this young man whom he loved, he thought of him as a son. As I look out and I, I look at the kids who are now teenagers, some of them even college students who I've been with for 10 years, as I look at our college students who I've been able to spend time with. I think back to the folks who I've gone on mission trips with, especially those who are younger than me. 
I just see so much that God is doing. And I'm so grateful for that. And I see your struggles. And it hurts and pains my soul. And then I see some of your choices to sin. And it just breaks my heart. And I think this is exactly where Paul's at. He is begging this young man who he considers a son to follow on with Jesus. To go all the way home, as a pastor in Florida put it. He's begging not to swerve off the path of faith. And so I kind of want to preface, and and before we get into kind of the actual sermon, I, I want you to make sure we get who this passage is to. This passage is to believers. This passage is not how to become a Christian. This passage is what a Christian looks like. Um, One of the things, and it's an old, old illustration, but I hope you'll permit me. You you don't become a car by sitting in the garage, right? Either it's a car or it's not. Whether you put it in a garage or not doesn't matter. It's just that the car sits in the garage. That's normal. You put a motorcycle in a garage, it doesn't make it a car. A believer is made a believer by Jesus Christ. So doing good works, that's really good and that's wonderful. Conforming to the image that Paul sets out here, that's good and that's wonderful, but that does not make you a Christian. A Christian is someone who trusts their all, their being before Jesus Christ and repents and turns from their sin to Jesus and are cleansed by His blood. The Bible talks about that when that happens, they're brought to life. That, That very act of faith and repentance is because the Holy Spirit has stirred their soul taking them from death to life. But once that person's a Christian, there is a deep, long-standing, eternal change that has been made. And so it may not be that very next instant, but over time, that person will begin to look more and more and more like Christ. And if they don't, something bad has happened. Either they were truly never saved or there's a failure in their understanding in their heart and they're being called to repentance. So this passage, please don't hear as a list of pull yourself up by your bootstraps. If you're not a believer, the only thing I would ask of you today is to consider Jesus. And here, a bunch of us in here today who have trusted Christ, and need to get the two-by-four whacked over our, hell, our, our heads to, to wake us up to what we ought to be. Because the great charge that so many unbelievers lay against us is that we are hypocrites is usually true. And I know it's sadly too true for my life. But this is to which we are called. This is what we are to look like. Christians, this is what we are to look like, church members. This is who we are to be. So I told Chad this morning, I only have two points. It's really short. You know, normally I have the long list. Just two points, as you can see in your uh, guide there that you can follow. There's a couple sub points under each one. But um, just two points. The first one is live the Christian life. And we're really going to kind of track through this passage twice very, very quickly. 
the first one is, what does it mean to live the Christian life? So we're going to have several commands, several imperatives that Paul gives Timothy. The first one is flee. Flee these things. Flee these things. This is from verse 11. I want to read it to you again. Look there in your Bibles again with me. But as for you, O man of God. By the way, that phrase is very, very rare in the Scriptures. This is a high, high compliment of Timothy. It's only used about five times of prophets in the Old Testament. So, so Paul's not saying, you stink, get better. He's saying, you're my brother and my son. Hold in there. So he says this, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Now that these things, we can, we can track right back, and it's, it's primarily what Joe preached about last week, and I would encourage you to listen to that sermon if you have not, were not here last week, it'll be online. It's the greed, the covetousness, the power grabbing that so many people try to live life by. We're to flee that. Timothy is not to be a man that seeks dishonest gain, that's all about the money and all about what he can get out of it. He's to flee that. Uh, But we can extend this more. It's kind of the whole book of Timothy, all the things he's talked about, and, and poor church government all the way to heresy, to believing the wrong things about Christ. But but even more than that, we are to flee sin. Paul puts it this way: we're to put off the old man. Y'all remember those passages? There's several times he says that. We're to put on the new. We're going to talk about the put on in just a minute. But we're to put off the old man. Jesus said it this way, take up your cross. In other words, die to these things. Every one of these ways of saying we're to get rid of the old is radical. You see, we're to get rid of those things. We're to run away. I've had a lot of teenagers ask me over the years, how far can I go physically in a relationship before it's sin? And my answer to them is you've already gone there. By the very fact that you're asking that question, what you've shown is you're trying to tiptoe as close to this, and I'm going to do this carefully because you know, y'all know I'm a klutz. You're trying to tiptoe as close to that edge. How many toes can I hang off before I fall? Y'all are all really hoping inside that I fall, I know. How far can I go? That's not Scripture. Scripture says to run away. When that sin is there, do you remember what God said to Cain? Sin is crouching at the door. It's like a lion. It's like the second you open that door just a crack, the lion's going to burst through. And lions are lions. They eat people. And we are all too casual about our sin. Whether it's your lust for for pornography, that scheming ambition that is run out of control, your laziness, your stirring up the stink on social media just to prove that you're right, whether it's dressing a certain way to get all the wrong forms of love, whether it's lying, disobedience to your parents, yelling at your spouse or my irritation when one of my children disobey. We flirt with sin instead of fleeing from sin. We must learn to hate that sin because it is that sin that keeps us from enjoying the full pleasure and joy and glory of Jesus Christ. 
It is that sin that keeps my neighbors and your neighbors and my friends and your friends from seeing what a godly man or woman should look like. We're not to flirt with sin, we're to flee it. So we are to flee these things. Let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, whatever it is, and it's all different for us, kill it. Run away. Stop. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. That's harming you. Run away from it. Second, we're not only to flee these things, we're to pursue Jesus-like character. We're going to go back to verse 11 again. Pursue Jesus-like character. Listen to what it says there. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. These kind of are in pairs. Paul, Paul pairs these items together. Righteousness and godliness go together. Righteousness, it's in our dealings. It's justice. The way we interact with others, we're just. We're right. We treat others well. And then godliness, it's not just outwardly treating others well and seeking justice. It's coming from the inside. We are God-like. We share God's character qualities. We're moral. We're holy. By the way, can I, I cannot highly recommend enough to the books that are there on the list on your uh, sermon guide there, Holiness by J.C. Ryle and The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. Those are good, good books. Holiness by Ryle, that's, 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 that's a beefy one. Um, that, that'll challenge you. Holiness of God by Sproul is, is almost devotion-like. Short chapters, Easy snippets, but man, so good. We need to be holy like God is holy. Do y'all remember what the word Christian means? Y'all remember where that comes from? It, it was an original mockery that, that Christians just kind of embraced. It, it was originally said of Christians, and in Greek the, the, the form of Christian would be little Christ. And that's what they would, oh, there's a bunch of just a little Jesuses running around. Well, that means they looked like him. They acted like him. Can that be said of you, brothers and sisters? Are you pursuing godliness? But the next two, it's not just a works-based, oh, I've got to pull harder. It's faith and love. These cardinal virtues, in other words, everything else comes from them. Faith is the basis of our character because our character doesn't come from in ourselves. We are sinful beings. Our character comes from God implanting His Spirit in us and calling us to life. And so faith is how we live every single day. We trust and we follow Jesus in every single way. But love goes right with it. Our faith is not an arrogant, holier-than-thou, I've-got-it-figured-out retreat from real life, but it leads us to love one another. Love well, church. Love deeply. Love even enough to speak things that need to be said. The hard things that the world just doesn't deal with and ignores and either separates from that person just washes over say what needs to be said to one another say what needs to be said to me 
We need to love each other well. Faith and love. The final two. Well, this, this is the one that stomped all over my toes this week. Steadfastness and gentleness. I'm going to steal something from a guy named Kent Hughes, a pastor. He, he defines steadfastness this way. It's patience with hard circumstances. So when things get hard, you stay the course. You don't jump ship. You don't bail. You're patient with hard circumstance. But gentleness? Yeah, that's patience with hard people. That's where I get into it. We're gentle. We're patient with hard people. We're patient in hard circumstances. So if your job is hard, I don't know how many people I've talked to in the last few weeks, y'all are just struggling in your jobs. One, can I say, praise God that you're being faithful and not being lazy and you're sticking it out and you're staying the course. Thank you. Praise God for your witness in that. But two, let me encourage you. God loves you still. This is not judgment necessarily. There may be sin in your life that God's trying to get your attention to. But sometimes life is just hard. And God calls us to be steadfast, patient in the hard circumstances. So first, flee these things. Second, pursue Jesus-like character. Third, fight the good fight. And I know it's improper English to have a subpoint being the same as your title. It's bad English, good Bible. I don't know what else to say. Verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. It's hard. If you volunteered and signed those paperworks, to get into the army. You should not be surprised when they make you run and do push-ups, right? I mean, it's a given. Hey, you're going to have to shoot a gun and it's going to be bad. That's, I don't know if that's written in the contract, but I'm, I'm pretty sure everybody knows it's part of it, right? This is the no-brainer. But how often do we as Christians think we're going to pray this prayer, treating it like a magic word, and think everything's just going to be happy and, and pink fluffy unicorns? Folks, we're still in a sinful world. There's going to be some fights. The call as a Christian to, though, to, it's not to fight as the world fights with angry words, hate, vengeance. It's to fight the good fight of faith, and that steps inward to the soul. We're fighting out the sin. Those desires that draw you away from Christ were stomping out idols. Joe, remember, talked a little bit a couple weeks ago, about the idol factories that are hard. It's an old illustration from Calvin. He, he talked about how our, idol, our, our hearts just are constantly churning out. It's like a manufacturing plant that churns out little idols. And there's this idol of prestige, and then there's this idol of money, and then there's this idol of this and this and this and this. And I was sitting there somewhere over in there, somewhere around over Corey and all y'all. And it just, it, he didn't say this at all. But I was just picturing idle whack-a-mole. Y'all remember the game at Chuck E. Cheese, all right? You know, you got the big old foam hammer and the moles pop up. And, all right. 
That's what we've got to do. That is the fight of faith. It's idle whack-a-mole. It is constantly, whatever the new one is, stomp it. Whatever the new one is, stomp it. We're fighting against this. We go to battle spiritually. This isn't Tahiti. We have work to do. Fight the good fight like a soldier. Fight the good fight. Paul said it this way. 2 Timothy chapter 4. He said, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. This is one of the offerings they gave in the Old Testament. And what the, the priest would do is he would take this and it was a thank you. It was a thank you to God. You've given us so much, we don't even need this part. And he would take a cup of their finest and he would just dump it completely out, upside down. In other words, there's nothing left. And here's how Paul describes himself. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure, i.e. death, has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who love His appearing. May we all be able to say that. It's my final day. I'm getting dumped out. It's almost gone. But I've fought the good fight. I've stayed the course. Not because we're good and we're strong, but because Jesus will bring you all the way home. Next, take hold of eternal life. Look back with me in verse 4. Excuse me, verse 12. Sorry about that. That's point 4, verse 12 for you. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession. That's, that's baptism. He's talking about your testimony at baptism. In the presence of many witnesses. So we're, we're to grab hold of that eternal life. John MacArthur said it this way, use the Holy Spirit power to hold on to truth. Don't give up. Don't waver. That good confession you made, I think back to the men and women sitting here, the young adults, the teenagers, even some of our older kids. I remember the video or the, the script that you read at your baptism. Don't forget that. Don't forget, whether it was another church or here, don't forget that moment when you stood and said, yes, I'm for Jesus. And what the amazing part is, is Jesus is for me too. Don't forget. It may have been 50, 60 years ago, but don't forget. Hold on to that good confession and keep making it. Keep making it. Next, keep the commandment. All right, verse 14. This is, this is a little hard one maybe to understand. I'm going to give you a quote to, to kind of help summarize it up, but to keep the commandment, we're going to go back to what commandment? Unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's certainly the great commandments to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. 
and then to love your neighbor as yourself. There's certainly Christ's commandment, his commission to go forth and preach the gospel to every nation. There's also the commandment to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. John MacArthur, again, when he preached this passage, says it this way. It's the whole revealed word of God. What is the commandment? It's right here. It's this. You keep it. Do you remember back to Deuteronomy 6? Even Genesis chapter 2? To cultivate and to keep. Remember when we've gone through those sermons? If you weren't here, the commandment to Adam and Eve is to cultivate and keep the garden. And one of them is to obey, basically. That's, that's what that means. And the other is to protect, is to guard. And then in Deuteronomy 6, kind of this reaffirming. Deuteronomy means second law. So it's this reaffirming of the law. It's kind of re-upping, so to speak. It says over and over, remember. 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 And then it says keep. Keep keep the law. This is what we're called to do. We're to keep the commandment, the whole thing, not the parts we like, not the parts that are convenient and they're culturally relevant, the whole thing. Keep the commandment no matter what. Number six, be generous. Verse 18, Joe talked a lot about this last week, so we're not going to go into this, but talk specifically to the rich in this present age, and to quote, um, Joe, last week, but also some stats, if you make over $10,000 a year, you're in the top 3% of world income. And I know that sounds crazy. The average income in the world, the average person who works makes $970 a year. So we're in the rich category, even though it really doesn't feel like it sometimes. But listen to what it says. They, uh, we, are to do good be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Is that how you look at your bank account? What can I give? With whom can I share? And that comes to everything from your spouse, your kids, your church, your neighbors, that guy you run into while you're out at lunch. Be generous, church. Be generous. Finally, Guard the gospel. Guard the gospel in verse 20. And then we're going to talk about the why. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted in you. Avoid irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. In other words, don't try to think you're smarter than the Bible. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Truth matters. The gospel of Jesus Christ matters. Don't even shake on it. There's a lot of things that are, that are kind of on the periphery. What's the order of when Jesus comes back? And, you know, even, even we can say with our Presbyterian brothers and sisters, hey, you know, how come you guys don't dunk when the word means dunk when you baptize? I, we can argue all those things. Those are great. And those are important things. But that core of the Scripture Believing that the Bible is God's Word. Believing that Jesus is God the Son become human. Believing that Jesus died for our sins. Believing that He calls every person to faith and repentance. Don't shake on that. Those are not up 
for questioning. Believing that Christ calls us to live out a godly life after he saves us, that's not up for debate. Guard the gospel. Guard the gospel. So why should you do this? This is the short part, don't worry. One, God resurrects, and the worst thing they can do is kill you. God resurrects. Look at verse 13. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. It's the same word as resurrect and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. Here's what he's saying. Jesus is before Pontius Pilate, the man who hold, held his physical life in his hands. Pilate said, are you a king? You, you said so. He didn't waver. He wasn't fearful. He stayed the course, kept right on going, and died. And then everything got good. Dead things don't stay dead when they're gods. Let me encourage your soul. The worst they can do is kill you. And we serve the God of resurrection. Don't be discouraged. That thing that seems too big, nah, it's not too big. God's big. The worst they can do is kill you. Number two, Jesus stood firm. We just read it. In the hardest moment, when he was quite literally bearing the weight of sin, when he had just been sweating and crying blood for my sin and yours, Truly the worst torture in all history. Jesus Christ stood firm. We need to be like Jesus. Hold the course. Be like Jesus. Number three, Jesus is coming back again. Verses 14 and 15. Keep the commandment unstained, free from reproach, until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Too often we forget this isn't it it's not 80 years and then you die and end of game we've been so trained by the video games that we learn game over it's not game over this doesn't stay this way as gorgeous as this place is and as awesome as chad is at leading worship and all our team up here and as wonderful it is is to sing hymns here that's not the end goal jesus is coming back we're going to see him face to face so hold the course fight the good fight fourth god is sovereign look at verse 15 which he will display at the proper time he knows when he's coming back he knows everything he has at plan he who is the blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, your boss isn't in charge. Jesus is. The president isn't in charge. Jesus is. The mortgage company is not in charge. Jesus is. Remember whom we serve. He's got this. And he's got you. He's got it. Trust him. Hold the course. 
Jesus is glorious beyond all imagination. Verse 16, whom alone has immortality, dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Jesus is better than you think he is. And we sing it. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. But we've got to call our hearts to believe that. We're about to sing Jesus be all to us. And my call to you is sing that not just with your words, but with your heart as a prayer. Jesus, be enough. And then all these other things that we've got to do work out. Because we know who's got it. There is an eternal reward. Verse 19, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. Don't forget, Jesus will make it all right. It's all worth it. The cost you pay now, don't touch anything. Finally, the last two. This, this last breath that Paul others to Timothy. Fight the good fight and stay the course because otherwise you will leave Christianity. Verse 21, by professing it, these other things, this special knowledge, smarter than the Bible, smarter than the gospel. Some have swerved from the faith. We can all think back to that friend, maybe that relative, who we thought was so genuinely a believer and, and their life is shipwreck because they've turned from Christ. And it turns out they were never His in the first place. Brothers and sisters, I don't want that to be any of us. We need to hold the faith. Keep trusting Jesus. But with that dark warning, we conclude with great encouragement. God is very gracious. How does Paul end? Grace be to you. Do this, do this, do this. You've got to fight. You've got to... Grace be to you. You know what happens when you blow all of that? Your soul is crushed and you think, how in the world could I go on? I'm the worst. God's word to you is grace. Grace be to you. Jesus gives and loves more than you could ever sin. And that's not... As Paul talks about, that's not an excuse to do whatever you want. It's the comfort for when you've done what you didn't want to do because you wanted to do it. I know, horrible grammar again. All the grammar people are staring at me. Great theology. When you've done what you didn't want to do because you just couldn't stop yourself, there's grace. God still loves you. He welcomes you back as a child. You remember the story of the prodigal son? The father doesn't, oh, I'm going to take you back since you're willing to work with the pigs. No, he, he embraces the son. When he sees the son coming, the dad runs and hugs his neck. That is the grace God gives you when you've sinned. If you're his son, if you're his daughter, if you've trusted Christ, 
It's the embrace that He loves His little child. So I hope this has been heavy this morning. But I hope it ends with the freedom to fight hard. Because even if you fall in the fight, God is gracious and good and kind. We're going to sing here in just a moment. But as I thought back of all the images and the, the pictures of life, famous Christians, I'll use that, use that term generously, I want to commend to you, brothers and sisters, don't be like Crefo Dollar. He embraces the these things, remember? Paul says, flee them. Or whatever famous TV preacher who's mucked it all up comes to mind. Be like men and women, like John Suckler, who pastored a church for 52 years. You know why you've never heard of him? Unless you or like me and read him all the time. I've mentioned him before. You've never probably heard of him because he was in only England. You know how many people are in only England? Probably about this many. I mean, it's nothing. There's two churches and like one street to this day, and it's always been that way. But John Sutcliffe preached the word 52 years. John Sutcliffe was discipled by one of the first three Baptists in the modern Baptist movement. And they sent him out, and somehow he ended up in this little podunk in England. And he preached, and he taught, and he loved people. And as a Baptist, he was best friends with the Anglican minister in town. He raised up young people to be other pastors and sent them out. A couple hundred years later, that little church in Olney is doing the exact same thing. His best friend, say, Anglican minister, his name was John Newton. He wrote a little song called Amazing Grace. They sang it first the Baptist church. <laughs> they couldn't get in in the Anglican place. Some of those little ministers he raised up were guys like William Carey, who preached such a bad sermon. His first sermon was at Only Baptist. It was such a bad sermon that John Newton had come over and said, that young man must never preach again. And John Sutcliffe said, no, get back in that pulpit. God's called you. You know what his grave looks like? I don't know. They put a road over it. They had to move his headstone because he's not that important. Be that guy. Faithful. Every day. Not big. Not splashy. Just fighting the good fight. It's 
staying the course. Stay in there, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. God, help us. Lord, if no one ever hears our name in the years to come, but your name has been glorified and we run the race well and we fight the good fight, we praise you, God, for what you have done in our hearts. God, forgive us for so many times we stumble and fall. Lord, odds are every one of us will be repenting before the end of the day. Once again, probably of that same old thing that's tripped us up yesterday and the day before. But Lord, may we be renewed in the fight. May we fight the good fight of faith. Please, God, we are not strong enough, but you are So, Lord, motivate us to obey your commands. In Jesus' name, amen.